Okay, we are ready to jump into Numbers chapter 21 today. Um, this is a little bit different of an episode just because we are covering only one chapter. But as you would imagine, that is with good reason. There is a lot packed into this chapter. Um, but also with that in mind and with several reminders recently about the importance of reading scripture aloud, um, I think it would be great for us to start off to do this, um, this episode with reading through the entire text. So that's what we're going to do first is we're just going to break up the verses among ourselves and read through uh, the entirety of the text and then just like we always do, just go back and just break it into smaller sections and go through the entire um, entire um, chapter. Um, but before we do, it has been a couple of weeks before um, um, since we have been able to get together and go through numbers. So just sort of a quick recap um, uh, of where we have gotten to. Um, and I, not to go through the whole book of numbers, but general overview is we have started off with um, what you would expect, the numbering of the people, um, the different divisions, how they were camped, and, and what each role for each tribe was as they were wandering in the wilderness. Um, and then we've got um, rebellions that we walk through and, and very similar uh, when we get there as far as questioning God and Moses on the wisdom of bringing them out of Egypt. But then um, right before we enter chapter 21, we have the death of Aaron um, and Miriam, I believe, just before that. Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so on the heels of that, we're going to go ahead and uh, start into chapter 21. So I'm going to start off and read the first 12 verses of Numbers chapter 21. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atherim, then he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. Then they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus the name of the place was called Hormah. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall become, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Now the sons of Israel moved out and camped in Oboth. They journeyed from Oboth and camped in Iabaram in the wilderness, which is opposite Moab to the east. 
From there, they set out and camped in Wadi Zered. From there, they set out and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites, for the Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore, it is said in the book of the Wars of the Lord, Waheb in Sufa and the valleys of the Arnon and the slope of the valleys that extends to the seat of Ar and leans to the border of Moab. And from there they continue to Beer, that is, to the, the well which the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people so that I may give them water. Then Israel sang the song, Spring up, O well, sing to it. The well that the princes made, that the nobles of the people dug, with the scepter and with their staffs. <clears throat> and from the wilderness they went on to Matana, and from Matana to Nahaliel, from Nahaliel to Bamoth, from Bamoth to the valley lying in the region of Moab, by the top of Pisgah that looks down on the desert. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into field or vineyard. We will not drink the water of a well. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. He gathered all his people together and went out against Israel and to the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. And Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as to the Ammonites, for the border of the Ammonites was strong. And Israel took all these cities, and Israel settled in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Arnon. Therefore the ballad singers say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, let the city of Sihon be established. For fire came out from Heshbon, Fire from the city of Sihon, flame from the city of Sihon. It devoured Ar of Moab and swallowed the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab, you are undone, O people of Chemosh. He has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captive to an Amorite king, Sihon. So we overthrew them. Heshbon, as far as Dibon, perished, and we laid waste as far as Nophah. Fire spread as far as Medeba. These uh, thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites, and Moses sent to spy out Jezer, and they captured its villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up by the way to Bashan, and Og the king of Bashan came out against them, and he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand, and all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him and sons and his sons and all his people until he had no survivor left, and they possessed his land. Okay, so <clears throat> as I said, there's a lot um, obviously packed into this one chapter. Um, before we start going in section by section, are did either of you have uh, any overall themes or things that stood out to you on this read through um, just in a generic kind of way uh, for this section yeah. Elizabeth so I thought it was really interesting to see God's faithfulness through all this like obviously God's faithfulness has been really present and really big through all of numbers that we've read so far but specifically his salvation during the the serpent thing 
and then giving people the cities and villages to live in, and they're already winning military victories and kind of occupying, quote-unquote, the land before they're in the actual, like, promised land proper. Yeah. Um, so, similarly, I, I did not remember them uh, really... I, I remember battles being won, but I did not remember them actually settling into any territory while in sort of that wilderness wandering mm-hmm. period. And so this was good for me to kind of be reminded of uh, what actually happened. And especially, you know, Sihon and Og um, are, are referenced so often in so many other places. And so often I have seen that and thought, now where is that? <laughs> that you actually read about those battles. And so this was good to go, oh, yeah, 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 it's here. You know, this is where we... We actually see that um, not just reference to, but actually happening. So, Sherry, was there anything else for you? No, just that um, this is sort of the end. You know, we've talked about um, this being one giant chiasm starting uh, starting with uh, chapter 10 and going through chapter 21. And so this is, so the, the, starting with chapter 10, they set out and now they're, Sort of, this is sort of the end of the journey. It's not the end right. completely, but it's pretty much the end. By the time you get to the end of this chapter, they're just getting ready to go over the Jordan River. And there's some other things. There's the whole book of Deuteronomy, but that actually doesn't take that long. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's a long book, it's basically just a second retelling of the law that where Moses sort of puts a period on, okay, we gave the law at the beginning of this thing. Now we're giving the law again. And now it's time to go in. So this is sort of just like the end of that whole chiastic structure that it's coming back to, you know, this is the end of the journey. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate you bringing that out because when I was reading through this, to me, it uh, I was like, oh, you know, this is not the end of numbers. Like we, we've got several more chapters, but the reading through felt very wrapping up, you know, sort of uh, thing. And I I don't know that I necessarily would have or have appreciated that in the past readings, but I do think a lot of the um, concentration on chiastic structures and kind of looking for structure, so to speak, in, um, you know, beginnings and ends within books Mm -hmm. has been so helpful to be able to see that on my own in reading through. So, um, anyway, so I appreciate you bringing that out again. And, and I kind of felt like, oh, I may be growing as a reader here. So <laughs> I was pretty happy about that. Okay, so first section that uh, I'd like to take a look at more closely is verses 1 through 5, um, where we, it, we're given the picture of the first king and kind of battle uh, instance up here, the Canaanite king. Um where Israelites are coming through, and and I, I I didn't have time to do it this time, but I'm hoping this week I will, um, as best I can map out. I don't know how many of these you can actually you know pinpoint uh, because so many of them are in the wilderness, you know, at that time, and you know how maps have changed, and we don't you know whatever. But as much as I can, I want to because I think it is interesting and. And purposeful how God does map out okay from here to here and I don't think it's just 
incidental. I think we are supposed to picture mm-hmm. kind of the route of how that's going. So, um, so that to say, um, they go. They the Canaanite king takes some of the Israelites captive, um, and I did think verse two was interesting. If you will deliver this. It doesn't say we will be your people or, you know, then we will destroy their cities. So I thought that was kind of a a different, you know, sort of interesting vow. But the Lord hears them and delivers up the Canaanites and they follow through with their, you know, end of that covenant and um, they destroyed their cities. Um, Horma, I am not familiar. And Sherry, I was going to ask you if there is another reference to that anywhere if that should mean something, um, I didn't know if the only reason it sounded familiar to me was because of this passage or not. But um, on in verse four, um, they are going. Uh, let's see. Oh yes, where they say uh, at the end of verse four, we're going. We're routing from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea, um, which I believe is. You know that's down way south, right? Mm-hmm. Um, south if I'm remembering sea, correct, yeah. right? Yeah, south of the Dead Sea, um, and so it's very, very much around. It seems circuitous of you know Canaan, mm-hmm. but anyway, around the land of Edom, which we already know, you know what has happened there as far as Edom crossing their arms and not letting them through. Um, and then the end of verse four is where I was trying to get to is where, you know, they're they're kind of having to go around all the things and they do what they do so well, they become impatient. And that's when they sing their same song. You know, why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no food here. And then, oh, it just, it killed me to read that aloud again. We loathe this miserable food. And I just <laughs> cannot even imagine how Moses felt because it it really pains me to to read that and I wasn't even there. So um, anyway, so that's just the basic narrative of that. Um, the only things uh, as far as takeaways, uh, again, you know, we're same song and dance, and we'll get to God's reaction in just a minute. But um, but it is interesting to me this Canaanite king. Um, the the vow in response to what the Canaanite king did, it was very interesting to me that God heard them and that um, and that you know they fulfilled the total destruction of those cities, um, and then I guess moved on uh, as verse four would point out. So, anyway, uh, what else did you guys get from that section? So the way that the vow was phrased reminded me of Genesis 28 when um, Jacob's like leaving uh, his father's house and he's running from Esau and he has, he has the dream um, and then he makes a very similar vow talking about like, if God will be with me on this journey, then he will be my God. And I liked what you brought out that that's not the promise that they make, like, oh, we're going to follow God if he's going to deliver us from it. It's just... We're going to completely destroy these cities, um, which, I don't know, the conditions of that were kind of strange, but that's what that reminded me of. Um, and then the the verse that you just talked about, there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Like, that's, you kind of cringe to read it, but it's also a very, like, infantile mindset. Um, just my experience babysitting, one of the chief complaints that I've heard 
in the last few months is I don't want to get a snack at home. There isn't any food at home. And the pantry is full. I'm like, there's tons of food at home. It's not good food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't imagine, well, I can't imagine how Moses felt. Just this very clear, like, I guess cognitive dissonance where you're saying the words and you, you must not hear them as you are saying them because you're clearly <laughs> contradicting yourself. Right, right. Um, but I think that kind of shows their, their true motives of, um, like what Alexander talked about in his lesson a few weeks ago, that this is kind of gluttony is the root of it, um, where you just want more than what you have. And even though you have enough, you want something that's better or something that's more. Mm-hmm. And I finally connected the dots of that in the last few weeks. And I know we've talked about the complaining so much, but I feel like that's something that we haven't quite brought in yet because I hadn't thought about it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was... That was all the extra points that I wanted to bring out. Sure, sure. Sherry? I was just kind of, um, this prayer or this vow that they make um, is interesting to me because it's almost like at the beginning of this chapter, they're all united. So, of course, they have people that have been taken captive, so they want to get their people back. But um, it doesn't say... If you will give this people into our hand, then we will devote their city to destruction. It says me, it says my and I. So it seems to me like they're really unified Mm -hmm. in this vow, which is, I think, why a part of the reason why God grants them this. It's like, okay, everybody's together. We're all in this together. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, uh, my hand and I will devote their cities to destruction. So um, I think that these first two verses are more encouraging than the rest of the chapter. Right. (laughs) Uh, But um, but, um, just that, okay, they they start out by being, um, by asking God Mm -hmm. and being very devoted and united in what they're wanting to do, and they do it. It says Mm -hmm. that they did devote their cities to destruction, in fact, the name of the place was called Horma, which means destruction. Mm-hmm. They named it that. So it wasn't named that before, but that's what they named it because they destroyed just like they said they would. Right. So God granted them the, re- the request. He allowed them to um, to um, to defeat these, um, these Canaanite uh, people. And they did exactly what... God said they should do. Mm-hmm. They devoted them to destruction. They did not leave anybody behind. They devoted them to destruction. And so you have this, everybody's all united. We're all on the same page. We're all um, focusing on God. And then a couple of verses later, not so much. Right. Yeah. So I think just starting out with this and then going on through the rest of the chapter, it just illustrates to me the whole... Um, just the the bipolar <laughs> nature <laughs> of Israel that, you know, on the one hand, they're like, okay, yes, we're going to do this, and 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 God is going to be with us, and, and we're going to do exactly what he says, and then a couple verses later, it's like, nah, we hate this food. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, so I think it's, I think it's kind of comical, like, like Elizabeth was saying, it's like, you, you look at what they say here, and it's like, 
did you not hear what you just said? <laughs> There's no food, and we hate this food. Right. So, <laughs> right. which is it? Yeah. Um, so it's just like, there's no food that we want to eat. Yeah. It's not that there's no food. It's just not the food that you want. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I just, uh, it just, it just pain. And when they say they loathe it, that's really pretty strong. Mm-hmm. It's not like we don't really like this. It's more like we hate this stuff. Yeah, we're done with which it. Which is uh, just amazing that, you know, and then, and then sort of, when we look at the next section, what, um, what's uh, what God proposes as a as a um, solution to this problem um, is going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, so with that transition, uh, Elizabeth, do you mind covering the six through nine, just kind of basic narrative and what you pulled from from those few verses? Yeah, so six from nine, uh, six through nine is like God's response to this complaining. And we've seen how God's responded to complaining in the past, so usually it's some sort of weeding out the complainers. So like the fire on the outskirts of the camp, or people just getting swallowed up into the earth. Like This is not out of character, necessarily, for what we've seen. So uh, God sends fiery serpents and they bite the people, and when the snakes bite you, you die. And um, the people come before Moses, and they recognize that they've sinned. Um, They're repenting from their um, ungratefulness, Mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, And then they ask Moses to pray for them, uh, um, to take this away from them, and Moses does. Um, But then the kind of... Uh, solution to this plague I think is kind of interesting because God says to make a like a bronze image of the serpents that are killing them and put it on a pole and presumably this is high enough that everyone can see it because if you look on it you will live and so Moses does that and that saves the people that choose to look at it yeah so I thought there were um, a few interesting takeaways from this Um, The first thing I thought of, and I was flipping around trying to find this while we were reading, but in the time of the kings, this becomes a point of idolatry, and one of the kings has to um, break it down because they are worshipping it and offering... Is it Hezekiah? Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18. Yeah. Um, So they have to take care of that. So even though it initially started out as this kind of point of salvation, it eventually becomes a problem... Um, and there's other things I could read into that, but I don't think I will. Mm. Um, I might save that one for Sherry. Mm. And then the other part is that to be saved, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. You're not just like automatically saved, which I think speaks volumes about God's just general plan of salvation. Um, that you don't, you're not just automatically saved. Um, through Christ, you still have to do something. They still had to look on the serpent to not die. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think kind of the parallels in that is really, really cool to pull out. Yeah. Okay, Sherry, what did you have? Okay, so this is one of those mind-blowing passages for me. Yeah. Um, because um, this is the first time that God doesn't just take away the right. punishment. Um, it, there's no indication that he ever took it away. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like just 
like let a few people die and then okay points made so take it away that's not what happens here um, so um, I in the first place I think the fiery serpents are not like serpents that have fire coming out breathing fire I think fiery is just means venomous mm -hmm. they it was like felt like fire mm -hmm. they got when they got bit um, uh, uh, so God doesn't take the serpents serpents away instead he directs Moses to put something on a pole that everyone can see it's high enough that everyone can see it and it is an image of the snakes mm -hmm. and so um, they're still getting bit by the snakes right um, and it doesn't say that they look on the on the pole and then God takes the snake bite away. They just don't die. Yeah. So they're not going to get they're not going to die from the snake bite, but they're still going to get bit. Mm -hmm. And which is really terrifying. That this these snakes are. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, wow. Um, so um, I think the symbolism in this. There's several different uh, symbolic things. This is a, a really highly symbolic um, thing that um, there's a lot of archetypal stories about looking into the eyes of the snake mm -hmm. or the dragon or whatever. Um, number one, so the people are forced to look their sin in the eye in order to overcome it. It's an image of the thing that they're afraid of. Mm -hmm. And in order to overcome the fear, you, in order to overcome any fear, you have to confront it directly. Um, running away from it, looking away from it, doesn't work. And there's lots of archetypal stories about that. There's a Harry Potter story. There's all kinds of stories in the in um, in mythology about uh, fighting a, a dragon, looking into the eye of the dragon. Um, when 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 uh, when when we're afraid, and this, this is, um, this is uh, sort of pervasive among um, animals. Like when an animal is afraid, it's paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And so in order to not be afraid, well, in order to get out of the situation, not die, um, you have to confront the fear. Mm -hmm. You can't just stand there. Yeah. Like you have to do something. And so, um, uh, so I think I think that's sort of symbolic in this story. They 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 can't just be paralyzed with fear. They have to actually confront the fear, and they're still afraid, but they're mobilized to to do something. Right. And when you confront it, it doesn't make the fear go away. It just makes you braver. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so when, when we do that, we're still wounded by the thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go away. Like when people um, that we consider to be brave, quote unquote, um, they're still, they're, it's not that they're not afraid. It's that they've overcome that. And it's that they, is that they 
And it's not that the fear hasn't wounded them in some way, but they do, they go ahead and confront it anyway. Right. And so, um, so I think that's the, I think that, so we won't be, we won't be, um, we'll still be afraid of the thing. We'll still be wounded by the thing. Um, but we won't die. Yeah. Whereas if we're paralyzed with fear and we just stand there, then we're going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the then there's the um, symbolism uh, in, mentioned in John thir- three, verse fourteen, mm-hmm. uh, that says that Jesus was lifted up on a cross, just like would be lifted up, just like Jesus says this, that he would be lifted up just like the serpent in the wilderness. Yeah. And so we know that this is a figure mm-hmm. of Christ because he said it was. Um, so. Um, so Christ is the thing that we look to in order to keep us from dying. Mm-hmm. We'll still suffer from sin. We'll still have to confront the sin, but we won't die. Right. And um, so I just think it's interesting that, that God doesn't take away the thing that tempts us, the sin. Um, and, and he doesn't take away the wound that we have from the sin. Right. We still get bitten by it, but we won't die. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, um, I, I just, I love that imagery. Um, also, um, I, I do this when I'm teaching this to the kids. Um, when I'm teaching this story to the kids, um, and, you know, I have the older kids that are like eight, nine, ten years old. And, um, uh, I always show them this picture mm-hmm. of an ambulance and what's on there. I usually tell the story and then I draw a picture of the pole with a snake on it. Mm-hmm. And then I show them this picture of an ambulance with the exact same thing on it. Yeah. And they're all like, what? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, have you seen that before? Oh yeah, they've seen it before lots of times. I just never thought of it. But so from ancient times... That symbol, this symbol that's here, is what we use to convey to people that, okay, we're going to help you. Right. Um, we're not going to make it go away, yeah. but when the ambulance comes to pick you up, they're not going to take away the disease. They're just going to hopefully get you somewhere so that you won't die. Right. And, yeah. um, and so it doesn't take away the disease. It just keeps you from dying. And that's exactly um, that's exactly what um, I think God is doing in this picture, is saying, okay, um, you're still gonna you're still gonna be hurt, mm-hmm. you're still gonna get bitten, it's still gonna be super scary, but you won't die mm-hmm. if you look to me. Right. And and it's the same figure that that Jesus mentions that that's that's what he is, um, the serpent that's up on the pole that we can look to and not die. Yeah. That's what I, so the only thing to add to that, uh, because I think you walked through that so well, is, um, you know, a a part of that is that I think that we uh, can lose sight of sometimes is, like you were saying, you know, the confronting your your sin Mm -hmm. and that, you know, the, the whole looking to Jesus is the only way to confront the sin. 
you know, there is no bravado of, well, came up from my own bootstraps and overcame, you know, alcohol or, you know, whatever the, the sin in our lives are. It is a complete dependence on, I will not be able to survive this without you, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that thing is. And like you said, it doesn't mean, I mean, it, it is a, it is not a magic bullet that takes things away. Cause that's, that is what struck me about this one that was so different than any other scenario where, okay, like Elizabeth pointed out, there's the weeding out and then somebody, you know, uh, Moses or Aaron or someone makes some kind of, you know, uh, thing for God to to be able to go okay it's enough you know in different scenarios but in this time it's so different it is so different um, that God says I'm not taking it away here's what I am providing it's up to them you know and, and it is it is just a, a very impressive passage to give a lot of thought to because um there are just so many of us who I feel like are unwilling to confront those things. Um, even as Christians, you know, stuff it down or don't talk act like it's not there or whatever. And as opposed to going face to face, in quotes, to Jesus and saying, okay, you are the only one who can get me over this, you know, or get me through this or, or whatever the thing is. Um, but that takes a lot of honesty on our part. Mm-hmm. And a lot of sobriety to say, I do have the snake bite. I have to look up, you know, as opposed to just acting like, well, no, I'm not really, I'm not really bitten. It's just, it's a flesh wound, <laughs> you know. So, anyway, um, but I appreciate all those thoughts. Um, they're very good, and they're just, um, there's so much more to meditate on uh, throughout, you know, our time as we walk, even when we walk away from this. Um, anyway, did you have something else you want to add before we? Okay. Um, so Sherry, do you mind walking through, uh, the next section? I've got, uh, verses 10 all the way down to 20, um, and just kind of go through that narrative with us and then we'll pull out a few things from that section. Okay. So from there, it says that they travel past Zered, which is, um, uh, which is on the, uh, which is south of the Dead Sea and then they... Uh, they go north past Arnon into Ammon's territory. I think it's interesting it says in this part of Numbers that the, we, we don't know about the wilderness wanderings exactly where they went for the 40 years, but at, at this part where they're getting ready to cross over, it's very specific where they went. Yeah. And um, so um, the Zared River is on the... On the, is the the south on the south end and then they're going to go north towards uh, Ammon's territory um, it says that they continue to um, then they they um, uh, continued on to beer which um, anytime you see that the word beer in the Old Testament it's a well it means mm-hmm. a well so beer Lehi Roy um, beer Sheba all those places are places where there was a well. Um, so um, it seems to me like uh, in verse 16 when he says they went to beer, um, it means that God is answering their complaint regarding the water in verse 5. Um, and so 
this is another instance where God is not going to do something miraculous necessarily to um, to and this is kind of towards the end of their wanderings so um, it's like well he's not going to provide a rock for water to come out of this time it's like there's water in this place so you can just go ahead and get your own water mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, uh, it's sort of coming to tailing up their their wilderness wanderings um, so they go to this place and there's water there and they even have a song about it mm-hmm. um, uh, it's interesting though that the song that they have doesn't mention God at all mm-hmm. they mention the nobles, the people who dug the well, um, the princes, um, and they don't say anything about the fact that God actually brought them to the place so that they can drink the water, um, and that this is an answer to their prayer for water. Um, they sing to the well itself, um, and they sing to the princes who dug the well, but they never mention the God who brought them there. Um, so that's just kind of discouraging to me. When in, at the very beginning, you know, they're they're all about you know doing what God said and and going to God and asking him asking him for a favor and and doing exactly what he said to do. And now he's brought them to water, and they're just like. Oh, great, we found this water all on our own. Um, and people, somebody dug this well, so great for them. Um, so um, that's kind of discouraging. And then, um, and then in verse um, 20, um, we have, uh, it says, from the, from the wilderness they went on to Matanah, from Matanah to Nahalel, and from Nahalel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley. So this is like a lot of different little places that they're mentioning, and we don't know exactly where all these places were. Um, then it says that they, um, that um, uh, they were at, by the top of Mount Pisgah. Now, um, Mount Pisgah is only mentioned, I, it, it might have been mentioned in other, other content, in, with other words, but, um, the mention of Pisgah is only mentioned like five times in the Old Testament. And um, I looked this up, and so it's, I'm like, is this Mount Nebo or is it Mount Pisgah? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think what, I think, I, I looked up in uh, Deuteronomy 34, verse 1, um, uh, which is when Moses is getting ready to die, mm-hmm. and, and that's where he goes. Um, it says that, and I'll read it because um, it just seemed more clear to me. Um, in Deuteronomy 34, verse 1, it says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. So it mentions Nebo and Pisgah. So um, it seems to me like the like Nebo. So Nebo is, um, a, it, it is named after a pagan god, Nabu. And everything that I looked up said that that's what it was. Um, and Pisgah, so it's like Nebo is the mountain, and Pisgah is the particular peak on that mountain. Okay. It seems like to me. So Pisgah mm-hmm. is more specific to a place within the context of the mountain range and Mount Nebo. Right. So I think that that's the deal. Um, 
um, uh, it's where Moses went to see the promised land um, in at the end of Deuteronomy um, so um, now they're here and because he went there and God allowed him to go up on Pisgah to see to see the promised land for them. It seems to me like it's about the highest peak around there. It has to be the highest peak because he could see all the way into Canaan from there. Right. Um, and so um, that's where they are right now. Um, uh, I don't know that they're on the top of Mount Pisgah, but they're in that vicinity. Mm -hmm. And um, so... Um, uh, I think that they're gonna they're gonna stay in that area now until I mean they're gonna go up they're gonna come back but they're gonna come back to that area because that's where Moses is gonna die mm -hmm. and um, there's you know we have references to um, to it in um, some of our songs sweet hour of prayer um, and the 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 idea is that we're um, it says, from Mount Pisgah's lofty height, I view my home and take my flight. So in other words, Moses could see the promised land from there. And that's figuratively where we'll be, so that we could see the promised land from where we are. Yeah. And uh, uh, so um, that is, it's just a very um, special place. And um, they'll be coming back there as soon as they, you know, as soon as the rest of this chapter is, you know goes by yeah um so that um song that you uh mentioned in this section is uh the the only additional thing that i want to tag on here and we'll see one more song before closing on the chapter but um and i know it's you know sort of tangent you know uh mentioning and, and i don't want to go down a rabbit hole but in this chapter We've got, I believe, three different songs. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, and I just am impressed whenever I, whenever some of these pop up. You know, I, I, part of me, I don't mean to, to sound irreverent in the least, but, you know, I'm, I'm a very big fan of A.A. <laughs> Milne's uh, Winnie the Pooh, you know, stories with the kids and mm -hmm. stuff. And there are some cute little songs, you know, that uh, the different ones will sing. Um, and, you know, as I'm reading through scripture and I write, read some of these, it is just so interesting to me uh, how helpful that can be of, um, of recognizing it as a teaching tool. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, regardless of, you know, I mean, even though this, there's, there's some bad teaching tools in this last one of, hey, where's God, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is something that, again, you could still learn from. But even just, you know, at face value, the purpose of it, they're doing it to remember, mm -hmm. to teach the story, the, the, the history, the what happened this day kind of thing. Um, and, and I just think there, there's so much value in that. Um, and not to, like I say, not to go overboard, but I, that's one of the things that I appreciate locally for us is, you know, Kelly opening my eyes a lot to that um, and the songs that we sing as a congregation. But even, the you know, reading through Scripture and just appreciating that, the way that God has set those kinds of things up, you know, that are 
a part of our daily lives of, you know, this is teaching something um, and not to go too far off into it, but, you know, just considering some of the song, you know, even secularly, what am I teaching myself, you know? Um, so anyway, I just, I appreciated that um, component, I guess, it, from a literary standpoint, maybe, of, you know, seeing some of these songs um, in the, this chapter of where the focus was, what was being taught. And like you said, it, it does give you insight. Who are they giving praise to? Who are they recognizing as being worthy of praise well it's right now it's the well and the people who dug it you know and so it, it does give us some insight so i do I, I appreciate you bringing that out in that section so elizabeth anything else from that section before we hit the last one not really i'm just very interested in what the book of the wars of the lord is <laughs> <laughs> it gets mentioned but i have no idea what that is i don't think i've never heard of that otherwise yeah yeah, I do. I, I appreciate you bringing that out because I had the same kind of thing of, oh, well, I mean, it may have, it must have not been, you know, unto our salvation, but wow, that sounds super cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. But again, I mean, even in that song too, it sounds more uh, historically driven, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and would be super interesting to read, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily... God's mm-hmm. goal, which again, uh, you know, to me, you know, that and this last song speaks to me to, of God's wisdom of, you know, like, why were these things not, well, maybe they weren't because they weren't really necessarily doing f- what God wanted it to for, like, here's the whole, I mean, you know, you think about creating your own story and what you have to edit out mm-hmm. and and really condense it down. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what does that speak to that he has, you know, said, no, 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 like, this is the most important stuff because we've got to keep the focus where it needs to be. So, anyway, I just thought that was an interesting thought. I think it's just interesting from, and there's going to be another song here yeah. later in the chapter um, that's not something that God wrote. Um, or even that the Israelites wrote, um, that it just t- tells me that this is how people in that day remembered history. Mm-hmm. They had a song about it. Yeah. Because that's kind of how we remember things. Mm-hmm. You know, we have songs about it. We teach the kids, you know, to sing, you know, songs about the books of the Bible. Why? Because you can remember it. And right. even as an adult. When you go through the books of the Bible, you sing that song in your head. Right. And so that's the same thing, I think, that they, because they, they didn't have a lot of it written down. They just sang it, and they taught the song, and so everybody knew the song. Mm-hmm. And uh, not just the Israelites, but, you know, that's the way everybody remembered their right. their history was through songs. And so, you know, he, you know, alludes to this, hey, you know, this this is the song. This is what the song means. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Which, you're welcome. I didn't mm-hmm. sing my um, mm-hmm. set of verses, but when I do, when I read to the children, mm-hmm. better know there's a tune that goes with it. <laughs> it may not be the same tune twice, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, but we do that. Okay. Um, so the last section here is just going to be twenty-one through thirty-five, um, where we okay Israelites send their messengers to Sihon. Um, Sihon denies them you know, passage, even though they're saying, oh, hey, look, we're 
we're not going to bother you. You're not going to get in your hair. Um, but regardless, um, they in verse 23, yeah. Um, okay, they fought against Israel. Israel um, was successful. I was thinking they that there was a, a verse where they went to God, but that is not, that's not in this section. Okay, so they were successful, though. Um, and they took all the cities. And this is the part where I was uh, mentioning earlier that uh, I did not remember, um, is where Israel um, takes all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon, and all her villages. Um, so in other words, seems like they're settling in, you know, here a little bit. Um, and then we go through this uh, last song um, where you've got sort of the, or you've got the, um, oh, um, victory uh, over the Amorites. Um, and then uh, in 30, starting back up in 31, uh, or I mean 32, uh, Moses sends out uh, spies, captures uh, the villages, and gets rid of the Amorites who were there. Um, and, and to me, it, it turns hopeful again here because it seems like, you know, we're headed into a direction like, you know, when we go into the promised land and this is what they are supposed to do, um, you know, is to not, is to get everybody out of the land. Um, but... Um, but anyway, that's, that's not <laughs> exactly what happens as smoothly as that, but it just makes me think, oh, this is what you're supposed to do when you get in the land. Um, but anyway, in verse 33 is that last battle where with, uh, Og of Bashan and, um, and it's such a famous one and there's, I feel like so many songs about that and Sihon, you know, that these are just such great victories that I it makes me realize I don't realize what a big deal it was you know because it must have been a pretty big um those must have been two pretty big victories mm -hmm. for everybody to keep remembering you know for that to be brought up over and over again mm -hmm. um but anyway that's that's how it wraps up in verse 35 where they you know kill all the people and they possess the land um and again I and maybe this is wrong of me to think this way, but, you know, Sherry, you were talking about at the beginning, you know, it's it's kind of hopeful, and then we have this really yucky part in the middle, um, and then, you know, kind of hopeful again, mm -hmm. but then it, it just brings sadness to my heart because I think, oh, man, but when we go into the land, you don't do this. You know, mm -hmm. you don't get them out of the land like God has said to do. Mm -hmm. But this, you know, little section here, these two victories, um, it's, and I wonder if that's part of holding them up. This is what you're supposed to do. You know, you remember Sihon, you remember Og, that's what you are supposed to do. Not, you know, the willy-nilly stuff you're doing when you're going through the land later. But anyway, th that's what I, uh, that's the basic narrative and the things that I pulled from those sections. So very quickly, Elizabeth and then Sherry. Yeah, so even though they're doing what God says to win these incredible victories, um, I do think it's worth pointing out that they're still not, like, thanking God or glorifying Him for these victories, and I think um, we're still not quite at the same high point, maybe, as it was at the beginning of the chapter, right. where you do get this little valley in the middle, and then you, you start listening to God, and you get a little better, um, but there's still 
yeah, not glorifying him, which just shows that there's still room for growth, but arguably better than they have been, I guess. Um, I really like that point that um, that Sihon and Og are like an important precedent, I guess, of them following the Lord, and then they just don't do it, and it's like, have to constantly be reminded, like, hey, you remember that one thing? Mm-hmm. You gotta do that. Like, that's the complete and utter destruction. So I wonder if they were, ha- if they, like, had in mind the promise that they made at the beginning of the chapter as well, um, that they will devote them to destruction. Um, I wonder if that was just kind of still floating around in the back of the- their heads, like, this is what we promised to do. Yeah. So... Um, I didn't have anything else really beyond that. Yeah, very good points about, you know, not being to the point of we're giving God the glory for all this. Appreciate you bringing that out. Sherry, what did you have? So, um, verses 27 through, well, yeah, verses 27 through, um, 20 through 30, um, uh, the song. Um, it seems to me like this is a song that... Most of the song is about how Sihon took over the land from Moab. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the song, it says, We overthrew them, Heshbon, as far as Dibon, perished, and we laid waste as far as... So I don't know where these places are, Dibon, Nopha, um, Medeba. But, um, so I don't know if the verse 30 is, say, is, is like Israel saying this, or if that's... Because it seems to me like the first part of the song is... A song that the uh, that Sihon's uh, subjects would have sung. Right. Um, fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the city of Sihon. It devoured Ar of Moab and swallowed the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab! You are undone, O people of Chemosh. He has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captives to an Amorite king, Sihon. Um, so it's sort of extolling the virtues of Sihon, and then so it, it's kind of just how because because in verse. Um, uh, verse uh, 26, it's saying, okay, the reason that Sihon was there was that he took it over from mm-hmm. uh, Moab. Uh, anyway, uh, then um, then we have Og defeated, and so so when they defeat Sihon, that's a lot of territory. That's like that goes from um, where they were in Zered all the way up to Jabok. I believe, which is, you know, pretty far north. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then uh, Og then is farther north even still. And that would be, um, that would be uh, going up to Bashan, which, um, um, which God, it says that God gave them into, uh, gave them into their hand. And that there were no survivors left, so they did destroy all of them. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, this is going to be the territory that um, Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh are going to request to settle there, um, because this is really lush pasture land. Mm-hmm. And um, then we have um, other references. We have a lot of references to Bashan in the Old Testament. Um, Psalm twenty-two, verse twelve, mentions the bulls of Bashan. And uh, Amos mentions cows of Bashan, and I think what that's a reference to is the the bulls were strong in Bashan because that was really good 
lush pasture ground and that's where you've got fat cows. Yeah. And um, so in Amos 4 verse 1, you know, he says, uh, he calls the women cows of Bashan, which basically is saying they're fat cows. Yeah. Um, and in Psalm 22, um, uh, that's a prophecy about about Jesus. But but um, when he says strong bulls of Bashan, that means they're really strong because mm-hmm. that's where the strong bulls come from. So um, so you can see why they would have wanted that land because yeah. that was just amazing pasture land and. Um, and there's lots of other references to that whole area, Gilead, uh, balm coming from Gilead. And, uh, so it's, it's a very lush, uh, place. And so you can see why they would have wanted to, um, keep that for themselves and God grants that to them. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate all the commentary and looking forward to the next time we get together and hit the next section of numbers.